Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. In this episode, we're going to go over help to man. This is not going to take us long. It is a rather short little command, but there's more after this, so don't worry. Help to man is a GNU software, so it's go to gnu.org slash software slash help to, that's the number two, man. This uh, little command enables you to create software with a help menu, which honestly is very often almost done for you. Um, not exactly for you, but when you're implementing help, or not help, um, option parsers in your software, you're, you're very frequently using an option parser library, such as gitopt, or git, gitoptargs, git, gitoptargs on Lua. Is that, is that the name of it? Something like that. Um, commons dot, uh, commons dash CLI from Apache for Java, and, and so on. So you've got these libraries that someone else has written to help you discover the options that you use when using a command, or when the what, what the options that the user has passed to the command when typing it in. And so the the author of the software is is typing things like option config equals option dot builder parentheses quote c quote parentheses dot long opt parentheses quote config close quote close parentheses, and let's say uh, .des for description, and then parentheses, quote, set config file, close quote, and then dot, I don't know, build, parentheses, parentheses, semicolon, something like that. I, I've left some stuff out, but you get the idea. They, they just tell the, the, the code, the, the, their program, what the option, the short option, the long option need to be, and what the description is, and then they create a help, the, the library includes some kind of help formatter, so that when you run that command without any options that are required, for instance, then it intercepts you and gives you a helpful message. Pretty common, you've seen it. Doesn't always happen, because sometimes applications don't have any required options. The ls command, you'll you'll very rarely see a help menu for ls. I mean, honestly, I can't even tell you for sure that there is one, because you can just issue ls, and it does ls. That's the default action. No, no options required no reason to inter uh, intercept the user and sort of intercede. I guess if you do ls-help, you probably get something. Yeah, so you get a big long help menu if you do ls-help, or a, a help uh, message. So, apparently, in the words of this software here, help to man it says that help to man is a tool for automatically generating simple manual pages from program output. Although manual pages are optional for GNU programs, other projects, such as Debian, require them see man pages in GNU coding standards. So this essentially is a shortcut so that a developer who wants their application, or maybe a packager who wants to package an application from a developer to get included into something like Debian, which says, you know, you have to have a man page in order to submit a package. This gets this gets you a man page from just the help the help menu. So for instance, if I go to my terminal here 
and I do help to man, and then uh, let's see what should I do. How about trashy? It says it, it spits out for me a uh, bare minimum uh, man page that says it it was generated by help to man 1.46.5. Uh, it gives me trashy July 2021. Trashy version 2.2, GPL version 3, user commands, and so on and so on. It's, it's, I don't know, 20 lines at the most, and it's not very good. But then again, my Trashy um, help menu isn't really very good either. I mean, it's it's good, it's just very, very minimal. There's not a whole lot to say about Trashy. So uh, let's, let, let, me, let me do something a little bit better than, than that uh, rather, rather hollow example. How about Help to Man Opus Inc.? This is the encoder program for Opus, the Opus file format. And I do know that I don't think it does actually have a man page. So I'm going to do this, help to man Opus Inc, and then pipe it to man. Why not? Oh, it doesn't let me do that. I didn't realize that that wasn't a thing that I could do. Um, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, what's the viewer for man, if not man? Well, I guess I could just pipe it out to a file and then view that in in the man application. Yeah, I guess that's what I'll have to do. I don't I don't know how to pipe something into a man viewer. Okay, help to man, opus inc, redirect, opus inc dot man. I don't know, I don't care right now. Uh, and then I'll do man dot slash opus inc dot man. Okay, there we go. So, okay, it's one, so it, it should have been dot one. Well, I will I will modify that just out of, out of respect for the man system. Okay, man opus inc dot one. And this looks like it's an opus inc man page for opus inc opus tools 0.2 using lib opus 131. Synopsis open inc options input file output file dot opus description encode audio using opus. Yeah, and this looks like a man page. Not a terribly sort of like well-written man page, you could argue. You know, this is not one of those that is going to take you through how you how you should use the application. Doesn't give you a whole lot of context for anything. You kind of have to, you know, this is, I think, I believe, I'm not sure, but I, I kind of, by, by demonstration and by reputation, I feel like this, um, app, that, that the man system has sort of demonstrated to me that that it is meant to be a summary of literally all the op options available for an application. And when you get a good one and it gives you a bunch of more information, then that's great. It's a bonus. But but this is like, yeah, this is kind of like, this is something I, I think probably many of us have seen. This is the bare basic requirement for a man page. Is it great? Is that the greatest thing to do? Is that the right thing to do? Hard to say, honestly. I, I, I tend to not like that. I tend to prefer um, two things. I prefer, I prefer examples of use, and I prefer explanation of how, of, of what's happening, and not necessarily in the same document. So if the info page gives me um, the, the big long narrative of why the command was created and how it works and, and what's happening when you're running certain command or certain options, that's great. And then maybe the man page could be the one that gives me the options and example uses, usage of the commands and those options, whatever. But this this help to man, it gives you the basics. It, it turns the output of dash dash help into a man page that you can then package with an application so that if there is a requirement to have a man page entry, you have it. And I think from GNU software's perspective, I think that they really do intend, especially since it says right here in the in the sample man page, this documentation is 
kept in info, so run info whatever, I'm 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 pretty sure that what their intent is that their their programmers, GNU project maintainers, are gonna be creating info pages and then in order to get the application into Debian, then you would run help to man so that you'd have a man page and a little disclaimer at the bottom saying, hey, you should really go read the info pages. The whole thing seems like a big workaround. You know, it's just, it's just it's really kind of silly because Debian's requiring this, so then we give them a token version of that. But 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 really, what we're trying to do is secretly point them to the info pages. And is anyone really using info pages? And and why are we requiring a man page if all we're going to get really is the output of a help page? I mean, isn't that isn't that? I mean, then at that point, why are we requiring man pages? So yeah, it's it's a little bit messy. It's a little bit awkward. I don't love it. Um, and I, I kind of wish that we, as Linux users, could sort of get all of this stuff straight. I think that the info pages, as I've said, are really, really nice. They're, it's a great little system. It's a hyperlinking, dy- not dynamic, but it's hyperlinked um, document in your terminal. No external viewer required. I mean, not that man pages require external viewers, but it is, it is quite nice. It gives you kind of that website type experience. In info page, it's well organized. It has lots of opportunity to give you lots of information about an application. Can give you use cases and and command examples and all those other things. Man page is great for a quick reminder of what you need to do. But then again, isn't that just what dash dash help is? So that's kind of weird. Um, But maybe man page could be the thing that cheat is. And if you don't know what cheat is, then you should. I should do an episode on cheat sometime, actually, um, because I've I've recently been working on a, a, my own version of cheat, and um, it, it's a it's a great like I'm just doing the display part. The cheat sheets themselves are maintained in someone else's Git repository, but it's it's a great little system that I I like a lot. So should talk about that sometime. But anyway, that's what help to man is. That's the only executable in that package. So that's it. That's done. We're done with help to man. That wasn't so bad. But now we need to move on to the next package in the list by alphabet, and that is indent. Indent is a pretty simple little application, but I need some code to um, to have it work on. So I'm going to uh, take this old hello world C application and write it Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a couple of things to it. I'm gonna I'm gonna force everything to the left, so there's no indentation in this code. So let's do that first, and then I'm gonna run indent hello.c, and now I'll take a look at hello. Oops, darn it, that was bad. Um, then I'm gonna look at hello.c, and I, I, I see that the file has been modifi- modified. There there is indentation. It's been restructured. So the way that I write hello world in C, or, or really more broadly, the, the way that I write um, a lot of code is I do, well, first of all, I do the declaration um, of the return type and the name of the function all in one line. So int main, parentheses, parentheses, and then the curly brace on that same line. I never put the curly brace on the next line. I don't know why, it's just what, it's just I guess what I got used to or something. Um, so now that indent has worked on it, it has separated int and main. So it does int main parentheses parentheses, and then yet again the curly brace on its own little line. 
and then it indents whatever contents I had, you know, printf, um, parentheses, quote, hello world, close quote, close parentheses, semicolon, return zero, semicolon, takes those and indents them, it looks like one, two spaces, and then again, on their, on its own line, it closes the curly brace. So completely very, very reasonable and very neat looking code. What happens? How, how, how good is indent? What if we put everything on uh, one line? Not everything, but like include standard io.h on one line. And then the next line, int main parentheses parentheses brace print f parentheses hello world or whatever. Close parentheses semicolon return zero semicolon curly brace. Literally two lines of code. And now I'm going to pipe it through, or not pipe it through, I'm going to do indent hello.c again. And now cat hello.c again. And it's rendered the same thing. So it's separated uh, the int from the main, and it separated the curly braces so that the, the curly braces are on their own line. It's quite nice. Really, really neat looking. Very, very tidy. Uh, this is really cool. I think that this does a couple of things. I think it shows, and there's actually quite a few options here. Uh, you can do dash dash blank lines after declarations. You can do dash dash blank lines after procedures. Dash dash blank lines before block comments. Quite a quite a few options about sort of where where it goes. Um, this is funny. Uh, dash dash bill dash Shannon or dash dash blank dash before dash size of. I'm assuming Bill Shannon is the person who who either wrote or requested that particular feature. Dash dash GNU dash style and that, no, for the record, I don't know who Bill Shannon is. Use GNU coding style. This is the default. Uh, dash dash Linux style. Use Linux styling codes. Dash dash tab size dash dash use tabs and so on. So it's it's a pretty pretty neat and tidy application with lots of modification options for the user. Talks a little bit about the choices being made and how to use things. This is nice. This is very nice. Yeah, pretty pretty nifty. Um, Bill Shannon is not listed as one of the authors, so I still don't know who Bill Shannon is. And um, I think one of the things that this really, really shows me, I could be wrong, but I feel like it is because the explicit nature of C syntax that a program like this is able of a relatively probably simple application like this is able to exist. So for instance, if you tried to do that kind of code cleanup for Python, I I don't even know like would that even how would that even work? Python can't really be like corrected, really, can it? Because I mean, if if it's off, the in, if the indentation is off, then it doesn't know where it's supposed to go. So so you'd never have any kind of variation in Python in order to then pipe it, uh, pass it through a program like this that then makes it tidier. Like I don't think. I mean, there might be some things that I'm not thinking of, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it's because in C you have you have clear markers to show what what goes where what's what what is meant to go where and then an application like this can analyze that and modify the the code accordingly down to down to a, a curly brace which i know that doesn't seem like a big deal but compared to a lot of the other stuff that i've seen like yeah python and markdown and and YAML, things that just kind of use, that, that have very strict structure, but no, no 
clear sign of what that structure is. This is quite refreshing. I like this. This is exactly why I like curly braces in the programming language that I use. And I like ending... Uh, I like terminating characters and things like that. Just, just It makes things very clear for me, and I think, I think this application kind of suggests that it also makes things clear for a computer. So that's um, indent. And then really, really interesting is this thing called text that in, this is the, in the indent, um, the indent package. The, um, there's an application called text info to man, which is kind of funny because like they, they don't mention, you know, it's just called indent. They don't really talk about text info to man. Unfortunately, when I, when I type in user bin text info to man, it, segmentation fault that's it segmentation fault just just issuing the command so if i do let's see um let's do a file type on this guy elf 64 lsb x64 yeah so it's dynamically linked interpreter ld linux uh yeah so i don't know it looks normal ldd says that it really doesn't have any dependencies to speak of. So yeah, I'm not really sure why text info to man would be segfaulting as I try to execute it, unless unless it, it requires, maybe could it be that it's, it's so, I don't want to say poorly written, but maybe not, it's not um, robust enough to maybe to handle when someone doesn't give it an argument? Like, that would be crazy. So let's do a, I'm going to point it to cpp.info.gz, segmentation fault. So text info uh, to man apparently doesn't work. I don't know if it's just not working on my setup or whether it is something that doesn't work in general, but I'm, I'm not getting that that works. Now we need to talk about Intel tool, and that is a package for internationalization. Get to that, to that package so we can see what kind of executables are. Um, are included, and there's Intel Toolize, Intel Toolize, uh, Intel Tool Update, Prepare, Merge, and Extract. I think this tool was mentioned briefly during the Get Text analysis when we were looking at Get Text, such as we did. I, I've never, like I said, when I was doing Get Text, I've, I've never done this. I've never even gone through this experimentally, and so I'm going to just kind of gloss over it right now with, with it with the intent to do a a better tutorial for both Git text and Intel tool once I translate a project myself, which I do have on my long to-do list. There is a project that people are actively asking for to, to, to have it be made translatable, and since no one else is doing that work, it's going to fall on me, so I will... I do intend to do that at some point. And then hopefully I'll know a little bit more about how Git text and Intel tool work. But Intel Tool, I can say this of it, it's a command that takes text from an XML file that is meant to be translated, or the, that has translatable strings listed in it, and it kind of does the switcheroo, the, the merge of things that have been translated to things that are translatable, and mashes them all together. This happens at build time. You make the translation files once, you commit them to your repo or whatever, or your community does, and then at build time, depending on their locale, Intel tool detects things that need to be translated. There is a, much like there is a git textize command, there's an Intel toolize command, 
and that as long as it's in auto it's an auto tools project it knows where to search for what it calls interesting files it can do that as long as you have what is the command in configure.ac it underscore prog underscore intl tool that's the 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 macro that you're triggering in configure.ac once you have that, then you can do intel toolize, and it generates, if it needs to be generated, po slash makefile.inin. Of course, without the infrastructure of a translated project, it really doesn't do a whole lot. But the other commands, like intel tool extract, well, that does the extraction of those strings that are translatable from the XML. And then there's the intel tool merge, which merges the translatable strings back in, and so on. So it's a little bit of a tool chain, but that's what Intel tool is. All right, next up is the kernel headers for Linux, the literal include file. So it's slash usr slash include with a bunch of header files that are provided by the Linux kernel. There are a bunch in here. They're important because when something is written for Linux, that code will want to refer to these header files for definitions and for functions and things like that. So, in fact, on many Linux distributions, if you're used to Slackware and then you go to use a different Linux distribution and, and you get it into your head that you'll just real quickly compile, you know, some application, not a problem, right? You've done it a million times on Slackware. You do it on some other Linux distribution and the first error or the first problem you you encounter usually is well, you have to have GCC installed, obviously. Oops, okay, yep, saw that coming, sorry, install that. All right, next up, let's let's do the compile now. Uh, you need make in installed. Okay, all right, so auto make and auto tools and w whatever else you can find. All right, now let's compile it. You compile it, can't find the Linux, you, you know, some other error, and, and you realize, oh yeah, I need to install like the kernel headers as well. There, there are usually a lot of extra steps in compiling on other distributions, and that's not because they're inferior, it's just because they don't include all this extra stuff. They're assuming that people aren't going to necessarily compile every other day, and so they don't bother including this stuff because they know that they've got it on their servers that are doing the compiling work, and people are just downloading the targets, the deliverables. These uh, Linux kernel headers are important for the way that Slackware has I guess evolved in the sense that, I mean, I don't know that it was, you know, I, I didn't really use Slackware until slackbuilds.org existed. I, I think that's true. It might not be entirely true. I don't exactly remember when slackbuilds.org came about, but if I did, it was right, you know, just right before Slackbuilds because I don't remember necessarily a time when I wasn't able to just go to Slackbuilds, download a script, and compile something. So I don't know how people usually did software, extra software installing prior to having really easy build scripts. I assume it was essentially the same way. I mean, you just, instead of having a build script, you just downloaded the application and started compiling. And that was certainly what I was used to. When I started on Slackware, I had been, I'd been running Unix for, I don't know, like a year, maybe two years? No, nah, probably just a year. Felt felt longer than I think it probably was, but yeah, I'd been running just, just Unix, and I the only way I knew how to do really anything on that was to compile software from source, because you, you couldn't find, you couldn't find the packages pre-compiled. I mean, you could find some, but not 
not a, not many. And I didn't, I don't think I knew about package source at that time. I assume that would have existed then. So I was just compiling stuff 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 just from from source code. That was like normal for me. So when I got to Slackware and discovered that the one of the main paths of installing software was compiling it, it just felt natural. Like I didn't even I didn't think that that was strange. I didn't think to question that or want for more. So, having the kernel headers included as a package, it's a a nice luxury. Now, if you download a different Linux kernel and compile that yourself, you're na- naturally getting the header files for that as well. So this isn't something... Be- it, it, it's in a separate package, I think, because they're not strictly required to run Slackware. You don't need these installed. You don't, you don't need a lot of what's in the D for development directory installed on Slackware, if if all you actually intend to do is run Slackware. You have no intention of developing on Slackware, you have no intention of compiling a bunch of code. You don't need m- most of D for development, if any. I, I'd have to I'd have to relook at the, the list and maybe, you know, do a trial install without D, but it's it's not something that you necessarily need. Kernel headers, you don't need it unless you're gonna compile. And just I think in practice that that means a lot of people need the kernel headers when they're running Slackware. But technically, it's been broken out into its own package, but, but actually, you get, the, you get those headers when you download a new kernel to compile a new kernel, if, if that's what you do, which is, it is something that I do, so I, I do have kernel headers. All right, next up is libtool. And libtool is another GNU project. It's the, oh, I see what they did. They used the help to man to generate their libtool man page. I, I recognized that. I recognize that now. Introduction. It says, um, in the past, if you were a source code package developer and wanted to take advantage of the power of shared libraries, you needed to write custom support code for each platform upon which your package ran. You also had to design a configuration interface so that the package installer could choose what sort of libraries were built. GNU libtool simplifies your job by encapsulating both the platform-specific dependencies and the user interface in a single script. GNU libtool is designed so that the complete functionality of each host type is available through a generic interface. So I think this could be a little bit difficult for some of us to even understand the benefit because at least in my computer using career i did i've n- i haven't had to deal with a world without libtool personally whereas other people might well know the benefits because they've had to deal with what life was like without libtool and apparently as the 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 man page itself or the description is 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 trying to convey it it used to be a lot more difficult to ensure portability of of especially libraries across platforms. So shared libraries, I think we've talked about shared libraries some before, but I don't know if we've ever really talked about it in this context. Shared libraries, the idea is that you can produce reusable libraries, reusable sort of packages of, of, of runnable code in a self-contained file that more than one application on your system can load and use. This, I, I know I've mentioned this before, that there's 
libpng. Look for it. Uh, where is it? It's on, it's on your computer. libpng. Um, let's do a find var log packages libpng. Is that? Yeah. libpng. Here it is. I got a 1.6.37. Actually quite strange. I, I thought it was way above 1.6 by now, but whatever. Um, anyway, so there's there's a, a libpng, and I've got both the 32-bit and the 64-bit version installed these days. But libpng, uh, the, the, the package itself, has some header files, it has some library files, some .so, so shared object files, some library archives, .la files, and that's basically all it has. I mean, it's, it's a pretty short little, little package. Um, essentially, let's call it f maybe five or six deliverables. Like if you cut out all the, all the documentation and the example .c and all of those things, then you've got essentially, you know, like five things that you're going to actually use in real life. png.h, pngconf.h, pnglibconf.h, libpng16.la. That's where I got the 1.6. I, I keep calling it libpng16. It's actually not 16, it's 1.6. That's good to know, actually. libpng16.so.1, uh, yeah, 16.37. So, um, oh, libpng16.pc. Anyway, my point being is that this libpng, you can, yeah, I can guarantee you, is, is used a bunch of times throughout your system. GIMP uses this. Inkscape uses this whenever you export as a PNG. Dia uses this. Um, those are the only three things that I can think of. I, I imagine LibreOffice probably uses this. Anything that's, you know, sort of linking against a, you know, a PNG, like this is where they get that information from, from this package right here. And specifically from either lib, probably libpng16.so.16.37, which I believe if I do an ls-l slash user slash lib64 libpng dot so dot so uh, it links to libpng16.so so in other words libpng.so is the sort of common that's the the sim link and it points to specifically libpng16.so as opposed to say libpng14.so.14 um, so the the reason that they're able to do things like that, like have you install one shared object, one library called libpng, and then have a bunch of different applications utilize that object, the reason they're able to do that is because this is a shared object, a shared it's a shared library. It's able to be used by several different programs, and the way that the way that that works is that you can you know as a programmer or maybe as a user, you can kind of imagine libpng as being, say, a, um, well, a, a switch or a, a funnel. And let's say it has, I don't know, a, it has two inputs, one at the top and one at the bottom. And then on the other side of the, of the box, it's, it's got a, it's one, it's one output. Well, as long as those two inputs are, stay at the top and the bottom of the box, then you can hot swap libpng libraries. You, you could take libpng, let's say maybe 14, uh, you could you could take that out of the equation, plug libpng 16 in where it, it used to be, and and everything lines up and you're good to go. So, I mean, I don't know, I guess if you think of it as like plumbing, you know, like you can take, you can take that 
that that fork that Y connector out as long as you replace it with another Y connector. Now, if you take a Y connector out and then you you replace it with a smaller Y connector or a, a, a not a Y connector, just a just a single connector, then you're going to have problems because now some some pipeline is looking for an input located right there and it's not there. So that could cause problems. But as long as those sort of external connectors stay the same and everything in the box, you know, does the same, has the same configuration and is designed to be, uh, to be the same, then, then that'll work. And that's a great security feature too. People praise that a lot on Linux because, and BSD, because that way, if, should there be some kind of uh, exploit against libpng or, or, or whatever, then you can, as a developer, you can fix that, that error, that bug, and redistribute just the shared object library, just that, you know, just the shared library, just that one file or, or that one package. And then people can drop that in, symlink libpng.so to libpng17 or, or 16.339, and, and everything's back up and running. So, that's a kind of a big deal, and the idea, yeah, I, I guess it's just the idea of almost a plugin structure, but on a major scale. So it's it's not just a plugin that you load into your application. It's not a not a little script. It's it's part of the application itself. Now, shared libraries can be loaded at different times, and you may have you may have seen this before. Um, it if if an application happens to load its shared libraries when you launch the application, then there's a lot of flexibility when you're trying to when, when you decide to sort of tell the application where to look for its for, for whatever it needs. Uh, the ld underscore preload environment variable can w- will change where a where a um, where an application looks for a, a .so file. So you may know that normally LD under, or you may know normally that the linker that's going to sort of hook this shared object into your bigger application, you may know that normally it looks in slash user slash lib64. But for whatever reason, maybe, you, maybe you're testing a, a, a new one. Maybe you want to make sure that you know, before you swap everything out on your system, you want to make sure that the new one that you've, um, you've made works. So you could tell it to do ld underscore preload equals uh, tilde slash mylibs slash, I don't know, libpng 2.4 or 2.4.so, and then launch your application. As, as long as the application is, is designed to load that object in during boot, then it will look at ld preload, link the um, the little library into its pipeline and launch. Now you'll get pretty immediate feedback in this case. If it's not if if it doesn't work, the application will crash. It, it will fail to launch. The LD underscore preload uh, and and a couple of related bash environment variables we used to use a lot back in the film industry actually because uh, there are there's kind of this unholy mess of non-open major film tools that run that are des- that are really kind of I think designed largely to run on Linux and and it's a weird atmosphere because at least if you're a Linux enthusiast it's it's a weird a- atmosphere because you, we're just so used to 
generally the things running on Linux being open source, and so you can just kind of recompile them to make them work and so on. But there are a bunch of really high-end film applications that are not open source. And so you get them, and maybe there are some weird um, sort of, not hacks, but yeah, weird hacks to to ensure that, well, this application is going to launch out of your opt directory, but we also need to redirect all of its all of the default paths to slash opt slash weird tool slash lib, you know, my libs, whatever. Um, so yeah, we, we, we would see LD underscore preload a lot in the film industry just because it was, it, we had to override so many of the default paths on, on a system for one reason or another. Uh, and then you can also have these, this plugin happen during during the application as it runs, like on an as-needed basis. It's called lazy. It's usually called lazy loading or something like that. Lazy is, is usually the term that I've heard for that. And in, in those cases, the application doesn't actually try, it doesn't, doesn't assemble the pipeline until that avenue is requested. So for instance, if you are, let's say, using Inkscape, and I'm, I'm, I actually don't know how Inkscape loads the the lib png for instance but let's assume let's pretend like it doesn't bother loading that png until you try to export or or actually import you're you're trying to import a png let's pretend like inkscape doesn't load that in until you try to use an import or an export function because inkscape natively just assumes that you're going to just kind of use vectors so and again this is all i'm I'm making this up sort of I, i don't know when inkscape does this, but let's pretend for now that it does it during runtime. And so you might you might go to import a PNG, and if you had forgotten to install libpng, or the version that you've installed is is grossly out of date and just not sufficient, or or it's been corrupted, the file has been corrupted or moved or whatever, then Inkscape would attempt to import a PNG. It would assemble the pipeline. It would find that either the libpng box that you provide on your system is either missing or it doesn't fit in right, and then it would crash, presumably. Uh, again, I'm making all of this up. I'm not actually trying to suggest that Inkscape doesn't know how to handle um, errors. I'm just saying that let's pretend like the, those things are true, and then we and then we can imagine a, a moment where an application could crash because it can't find it can't assemble the pipeline. And you're trying to, uh, you know, turn on the, you're, you're trying to send stuff through the pipeline. That's a bad thing. But otherwise, it's actually quite handy because then your application could launch without really a complete pipeline. So it might launch faster. It might launch. Um, it, it might be able to use less memory because it doesn't ever have some things loaded at all because you just never used the PNG functionality in that application or whatever functionality. I'm just using, again, PNG, I'm just randomly using that as an example. Well, not so randomly. I'm using it as an example because that's the one shared library that I've had the most sort of fun with. So that's that's what shared libraries provide. The problem, one a problem is that on some systems, there aren't shared libraries. And then another problem or another situation might arise where by, for whatever reason, you don't want to use a shared library. Don't know why you wouldn't, but let's say you, you, you don't want to. So in those cases, apparently, before the days of yore, um, you would have to sort of, if, if you want to do guarantee that your code 
would compile and function correctly across many Unix platforms, or I guess probably even other platforms, then you'd have to design the answers for each platform yourself. LibTool changes that. It abstracts a bunch of the things that you would normally have to worry about away from you and takes care of it on its own. And it also auto-detects what kind of system it is compiling on. So it knows whether to try, whether it's going to shoot for a shared library or a static library and so on. I think this is probably pretty difficult to to demonstrate, to be honest, because um, it, it doesn't, it, you know, it kind of applies in very specific situations, um, not only reliant upon the code itself, like you, you, you would need demo code that would create a library and then be called by some other application. So that's getting a little bit complex, probably worth doing someday, but I don't know that I'm that dedicated to this. Um, so I'm going to... I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to demonstrate the, the easy the easy solution, the easy way um, that you would use that you could use libtool in real life very quickly without without really having to think about it. Because libtool actually in a way is designed to extend automake. Uh, yeah, auto auto tools I guess generally, but yeah. Um, so, I'm going to take a drink of coffee here. I'm aware that I haven't done a coffee break, and it doesn't look like we're going to get to it this episode, because we're getting pretty late in the show, and I just kind of want to power through libtools. So um, so here's... I've just downloaded GNU Hello. It's the default Hello World application for for the GNU project. It's pretty, um, it's pretty basic, to be honest. But I think it'll kind of demonstrate, just like I say, the easy way to to get this... Uh, to, to, to use libtool. This is kind of one of the the common ways that you're going to encounter it. So I've just untarred hello into hello-2.9 and then I'm going to do a make, I mean a dot slash configure and then I'm going to do, uh, actually I won't even make, I don't even have to make it, I'm just doing a dot slash configure. Now by default GNU hello does not invoke libtool, it does not assume that you have libtool on your system, it makes no mention of libtool, I can prove this with grep by doing grep dash capital H lowercase i lib tool make file and there's no results there okay so we'll just take that um, on faith that that means that this does not use lib tool for a moment and now I'm going to change directory and get another copy so I'm going to change that directory actually I'm going to move that directory to hello dash 2.9 dash no lib tool and then I'm going to untar a new copy of it and then I'll, I'm going to open up the configure.ac file. So this is where where you create the the, the configure script, which which already exists. So I'll have to regenerate it. But I'm just um, I'm just going to go in here and add one line after ac underscore prog underscore cc. I mean, it doesn't really happen. I don't know why I said after that line. I'm just I guess I'm telling you where I am. Line 28, if you're really curious. Lt underscore init parentheses square bracket dl open close square bracket close parentheses. There we go. Um, DL open is the system call that loads dynamic shared object files, so shared libraries. And so that's a that's a thing that is provided by Linux. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that it's provided by anything else, but it is provided by Linux. So in this case, I'm telling the make file that I want to LT, I want I want to use the macro LT underscore init. So that's libtool init 
and uh, the thing that I want to enable here is DL open. And now I'm going to do a dot slash, no, I'm not going to do a dot slash configure yet. I'm going to do auto reconf dash I, and I forget what the dash I, I guess I should look that up really quick. Let's look at what the dash I says. Uh, install. That's right. I knew that. Uh, so that creates some stuff. Did it work? Yes, it apparently did work. Okay. So now I'm going to do auto conf and I believe that works as well. well. That's really nice. And now I'm going to do auto make dash dash install dash missing just to make sure we get everything. Oh, does that not auto make doesn't have that flag? I thought that was the flag where I usually used that. Apparently not. Okay, so just auto make then. Whatever. So now I should be able to do a dot slash configure and that processes. It's all, I feel like it's a little bit longer this time too. I wouldn't swear to it, but it definitely feels like it's taking longer to do the dot slash configure. It's doing a lot of new checks and then it's done and then I'm going to do a grep dash capital H lowercase i uh, for libtool in makefile and oh I got seven results so I've got a makefile hit that uh, references libtool a couple of different times oh much more than seven hits what am I talking about um wow libtool.m4 um libtool libtool builder um libtool yeah, so there's there's a bunch of, of sort of libtool references here, which is good. That's what I would expect. So now if I do a make dash j6, let's try to speed that up, that works. Uh, apparently that worked, and then I could do a, well, I could execute the, the program and it would work. I don't, I don't know really what that would um, actually prove in any way, so I guess that doesn't really make that big of a difference. The point is, I think that the LT underscore init, parentheses, square bracket, DL open, close square brackets, close parentheses, is a really easy way to bring libtool into your make file. It, it requires a couple of things from your macro collection, of course, but I'm assuming that comes with, with libtool. Let's find out. Libtool 2.4.6. Yeah. AC local m4 lt libtool.m4 ltdl that's the um, that's libtools sort of implementation or i think mimicry of dl open ltoptions.m4 lt sugar so yeah there's a couple of different macros in here included with libtool so it gives you a whole sort of gives you you know when you install and use libtool and you, you might have to require it uh, of your of your users you know it's it is it's something that they'll have to have as well when they're compiling the thing if 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 that's what they're doing but um, I mean I'm generally on Linux you're I think most people are going to have it anyway but that's what libtool that's the easy way to use libtool is just invoke it in a make file and let the system figure out and that's what libtool is designed to do it'll figure out whether you what kind of features you need to use within libtool in order for you know in order for you to 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 be able to sort of take advantage of of what it has to offer okay so what i'm going to do now i guess is make a really quick hello world application which will just be a main.c and I'm going to, I'll just make it maybe not a hello world application, but maybe it'll print underscore underscore printf parentheses underscore underscore version underscore underscore close parentheses semicolon 
So it's a hello world application that just doesn't happen to print the words hello world. And now I'm going to use libtool to to generate, well, I, I guess first maybe I'll, I'll use GCC to create and execute a, a, a shared object, a shared library as one would normally. And that would be GCC-G for debugging dash capital O to enable any kind of optimization, which of course with this little application is silly. Uh, and then dash C, which does the, um, oh man, will I be able to figure out what that stands for? Probably not. Dash C option, option says not to run the linker. There you go. That's, that, that is, I, I did figure it out. Good for me. Dash C to create the, the shared object main.c. Well, that happened quickly, and there's main.o. Of course, I can't execute main.o, but I could do a file on main.o and learn that it is a relo re relocatable uh, with debugging information, not stripped, elf, well, elf 64-bit LSB relocatable. So that's what that is. Okay, easy. So now let's watch what would happen. I mean, it'll be essentially the same thing, but let's let's anyway do this with uh, libtool instead. And libtool is going to be shockingly simple, but it's kind of a preamble. So libtool space dash dash mode equals compile, and then gcc dash g dash capital O for optimizing dash c not to run the linker main dot c, and two things happen. So libtool tells me that it's compiled with the command gcc dash g dash o dash c main dot c dash f pick dash d is in delta pick dash o dot libs main dot o and then gcc dash g dash capital o dash c main c dash o main dot o sending the output to dev null uh, simply because it doesn't want to clutter up the terminal which in this case wasn't really a danger anyway you can you you can see the output of the command in cases that you need that with a dash no dash suppress flag, but with a simple application like this, that doesn't apply. So anyway, what's happened is that we uh, I've just compiled this this library into in, into a main.o, which should be in my current directory. It is a main.lo, which isn't it's a text file actually but it's a it's an important text file because it get, gives libtool guidance when it needs to know what to how to compile things and then uh, there's a hidden directory here so if i do an ls dash no ls dot ls space dot libs then i see that in that directory there is a file called main.o and that file was compiled with the dash f PIC flag, which is a position independent code um, flag, which if I go to GCC, do a search for space, 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 dash F PIC, says if supported for the target machine, emit position independent code suitable for dynamic linking and avoiding any limit on the size of the global offset table or GOT. This option makes a big difference on M68K, PowerPC, and Spark, so not, not for x86. But um, the dash FPIC enables position-independent code, which essentially is important if a library is loaded into memory addresses that, that aren't standard. Because if you're loading a library into memory space the same way every time, then your system can treat those 
memory addresses as absolute. It never has to figure out where your, your library is loaded, because it's always addressed at the same place. If, if it's loaded into different places from time to time, then it needs to know where to, where to find it and what, what offset to use in order to find it. Um, libtool, again, can manage this. It, it detects whether your system is capable of, of sharing libraries or not, and it, it compiles what is necessary. Now, we're not seeing all the different options here, because I'm on Linux, and so there are a lot of things that I that that, that just happen here on Linux on x86 uh, underscore 64 on 64-bit Linux, whereas on a different platform, libtool would have to make different allowances. Okay, so what I'm going to do here now is link this library, the main.o, into a library archive with libtool. So libtool dash dash mode equals link this time. And so this is doing a step that we that I intentionally skipped previously. I said, do not run a linker because of dash C and just leave me with an object file. So this time I'm doing dash dash mode equals link rather than dash dash mode equals compile and then running basically the same, well, not the same, but a similar command. GCC dash G for debugging still, dash capital O for optimizing, not that it matters uh, in this case. And then dash o, I'm going to call this thing libhello.la. Why not? And then the thing that I want to add to that archive is main.o in my current directory. And I get an error, or a warning, actually. Sorry, a warning. And it says linking the shared library libhello.la against the non libtool object main.o is not portable. Now again, if you're doing this with AutoMake and AutoTools and you've just got LT underscore init for your to bring in libtool, all of this goes away. Like this is all handled by by libtool. This is just doing it manually. So it's telling me that's not portable. And the reason that's not portable is because well, it ignores anything that libtool knows about your system. So instead of doing that, I'm going to I'm going to I think I'm going to trash libhello.la, and now I'm going to run the same command, libtool dash dash link uh, mode equals link uh, gcc dot dash g dash o dash o libhello.la main dot lo, oops, lo, instead of just main dot o. So now I'm linking it against a libtool object file, and this time I don't get a warning. It's happy with that, and it's run a bunch of extra commands to account for what it needs to do, what it knows that it needs to do um, for for all of this to work. And specifically, it's it's, um, it's doing some cleanup here from some temporary files. It runs the ar archive command against the 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 object that it knows it needs, and then it runs ranlib and so on. So it's happier this time. Now again, a lot of this is kind of imaginary because on 64-bit, a lot of, it's like, we're not getting the full advantage of this, but I mean, I guess we are because because it's working, um, but I guess in real life we would probably be more excited about this process if we were, you know, doing it diff- on two different platforms. So um, that's kind of it, to be honest. Um, that's libtool. It's kind of what it does. Uh, I feel like I could have done with a better example, but I just didn't know how to generate one, to be honest. Uh, so I think probably at the end of this, 
it's safe to say that the fact that this seems not impressive means that we're in a really good place right now. Like, we don't have to worry about stuff that potentially we would have to worry about in a time before LibTool. Um, you can hear all kinds of horror stories if you look hard enough online about, yeah, what it would take or what it takes to 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 sort of account for all the different platforms out there without LibTool. And we all know how bad I think it feels to have to reinvent the wheel. And that's essentially what LibTool is. It's the wheel that we don't have to reinvent. It targets lots of different platforms. You do not have to worry about how your code is going to get compiled on different platforms because LibTool can detect what it needs and compile appropriately. That's it, I think, for LibTool. That is it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Sorry for the lack of a coffee break. I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open